happens because this uh, actually ties in with our lesson this morning about being ready. Our lesson, that was a really good lesson. You can always tell when it's a really good lesson because it's really quiet. Because it's just Keith talking. Everybody else is just soaking it up. Don't ask questions or nothing like that. We're just soaking it up. And I was taking lots of mental notes this morning on this one. And we're going to be looking at the, the, the last days. There's no tomorrow. And there's, that's the way that we ought to live this life. And that's how Peter's actually telling us to live this Christian life that we live. By the way, before I get any further, ain't these gorgeous? We're taking these home. Just so, nobody else is going to get these. We're going to take these home with us after church. <laughs> Carolyn, give us a thumbs up. Those are pretty flowers, and they're real to top it off. I like real ones. Anyway, so Peter's telling us that we are to live like there is no tomorrow, and, and that's the way. We, I know I talk about this often, but you know the, the guys at uh, Duck Dynasty, that's the way that they lived their lives. They wanted to live a good life always. That's why you didn't see them doing bad things. You didn't hear them cussing. You didn't hear or see them drinking and doing all, all the bad things. They always lived a good life because they lived it thinking that the Lord may come back at any time, and they wanted to live a good life and that way that they would be able to give account for all the good things that they had done but they also put their faith in works as well so can't can't do that it's kind of like catholicism you can't put your faith in works uh it's works after salvation but peter is telling us that the life that the christian lives we need to be living it thinking that or at least expecting that we're not going to wake up tomorrow live it thinking i don't know if i were to say thinking or hoping that the Lord's going to come back and be ready for it, be prepared for it. Life is a vapor. We know that. And we're not promised tomorrow. So that's the way he wants us to live. I read this little, this little news article to y'all. I don't know when I did it, but I'm going to read it again because it's just, I just like it. But back in uh, April 1st of 1980, a uh, radio preacher named Willie Smith made an announcement that the rapture would happen on April 1st around 2 p.m., Smith was quoted as saying, things are coming to an end. Time is very short. We're in our final countdown. And the newspaper reported that Smith wasn't, able, wasn't available for comment on April 2nd because he's hiding. <laughs> but we ought to live like that kind of ringing in our mind all the time. We're not going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to make sure when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, that my conscience is clear, I've asked for forgiveness, and I've done everything possible to please God and honor Him throughout that day. And when I get up the next morning, if He sees fit to allow us to have one more day, we need to go into that day the same way, doing everything possible to honor Him, please Him, do good. Just do good. And we're going to read that here in just a second. People today, they interpret what we would call unstable politics and social events is the end of the world. It's, come, it's, it's around us. That's the way we look at it. The, the unstable politics, the social things that are taking place in this world right now, when we read it, when we see it, what do we think? Automatically, it's the end of the world. What happened when, when Russia and Ukraine went, went to war? You don't have to raise your hands, but there were some conversations on the phone about, is this the end times? People had called. I've done a lot of studying myself. You can't help but think that whenever things like this happen, we start thinking about the end times. All right, we're, we're up on June, so what happens in June? June and November, hurricane season starts. All right, we're right now in the spring, so tornado seasons have already started out west. We're going to see 
flooding. We're going to see hurricanes. We're going to hear about tornadoes. We're going to see and hear about earthquakes. There's going to be things that are going to happen throughout this year that are going to always make us think that the end is coming. Well, here's the thing, and I almost said this to Keith earlier, but I wanted to save it for this. These things have happened for thousands of years. Do you know why it's never been talked about? There was no news, no social media. That's what brings it to light right now. These floods have always happened. These earthquakes have always happened. There's always been hurricanes. There's always been tornadoes hitting, but there just wasn't Facebook to share it. There, just, there wasn't the cable TV, the news media outlets out there to share it. So the things we're seeing now we think are the end times was happening 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. There just wasn't anything, an outlet to get it out there. So do you think back then they were thinking the same thing that we think right now? Yeah. Whenever that tornado would touch down 300 years ago, it's the end. Here he comes. Whenever the hurricane would hit Florida or Texas or whatever 400 years ago, 500 years ago, this is the end. Well, those states didn't exist back then, but you know what I mean. I figured 100 would call me out on that one. But you're not listening, so we'll just move on. One thing is very clear when we read the New Testament. We should live our lives as if Christ is going to return at any moment. That's important for us. It's very important for us. If we live like he's coming tomorrow, we're going to be a witness to those that are around us. We're going to be that light. We're going to see people come to us, want to talk to us, want to know why we live the way we live. Why do we, why do we act the way we act? Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back, and we want to be ready for it. How can we live like there's no tomorrow? Peter's going to kind of explain that to us over in 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bible, stand with me just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity, which is love, among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him he be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jonathan, would you open us up in prayer, please? Amen. You can have a seat. First thing we'll look at this morning, verse 7 tells us to live life self-controlled. To have a control over ourselves. We let a lot of things in this world have control over us. We let the world have control of us. We let the flesh have control of us. And unfortunately, we let the devil have control of us. And he loves that part of it. We see in the headlines all the time, people, uh, or the articles are written out there, violent youth would as soon kill you as look at you. And our youth is getting bad right now. The, the youth of this world right now is getting, it's getting really bad. They, they just do what they want to. If they don't like you, they'll hurt you. That's just the way it is anymore. The media 
It's just overflowing right now with articles about uh, drugs, drug abuse, about drug-related uh, deaths or suicides of actors and musicians out there. We don't ever read of, of these these famous people doing good stuff anymore. It's always the bad side of them. Why are they in court? Why are they in jail? Why, are, why did they do this or why did they say that? And, and we don't have role models anymore for our young people. Why are our young people the way they are? Look at who they look up to. They ain't got nobody. When it comes to, now they do have somebody. When it comes to role models, they ought not be looking at athletes or actors or musicians. They need to be looking inside the church. Your role models are sitting here in the pews. Your role models for our young adults, our young children, are the church goers. Our role model, singular, is Jesus. That's who we're to look up to. That's who we're, we're to imitate. That's who he wants us to be as close to as possible, just Jesus. Are we perfect? No. Was he? Yes. But you know what? we got some great godly men and women in our churches, and that's who these children need to be looking up to. Not what's on TV, but what's in the church. Who's in the church? From substance abuse to abuse of power, one thing is clear. Our society is in what I would love to call the corporate crisis right now. It's just going downhill. But it's caused by self-centeredness. It's caused by self-indulgence that's going on inside the corporate world, inside our, the businesses, inside our homes, inside our schools, and sometimes inside our churches. We're seeing a downfall in it. It's a lack of self-control. and When we have that lack of self-control, it kills our self-respect. We don't care about ourselves, much less anybody else. That lack of self-control, it kills friendships. A lack of self-control, it kills marriages. A lack of self-control will kill a church. It will kill a career. It kills ministry. It does. Lack of self-control can kill a ministry quicker than anything. No preacher can brag that, that we've avoided its control. Some preachers will get into it, and they see money, and so they'll move, and they continue to move up. And so they started a little church, and then they'll go to a bigger church, and then a bigger church, and then a bigger church. Was well, they grow, their ministry shrinks. They're growing their bank account, but the ministry, it shrinks. They go where the money is. There's no self-control when it comes to, to that, and, and a lot of them, or not a lot, but several of them. What is the key to living a self-controlled life? Refusal. That's the key. The key to living a self-controlled life is refusing the world. The key to living a self-controlled life is in refusing the devil. If you will stand up to the world if you will stand up to the devil and you tell him like peter and jesus did just to get behind him devil just get behind me when you refuse him access to your life you are you've activated self-control you are controlling what's going on with yourself and that's a good thing you're not allowing him in because you have to let him in you got to let the world in you got to let the devil in you got to give them access to it Jesus has given us victory over flesh. Jesus has given us victory over the world. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has given us victory over the devil. So all we got to do 
is just say no. Just refuse it. Just refuse to let them in our lives. Only self can allow authority of those three things. Only you can allow them in. You thought I was going to say can prevent forest fires, didn't you? Only you can stop that. In the life of the believer, they can rule only when they are invited in. Each one of us makes that decision to allow them in, to allow the world in. When the devil comes knocking on your door, saying, let me in, you can say no. Just refuse him. But he can't come at you, and he can knock on that door, and he's saying, let me in. You're like, okay. That's fine. Come on in. You can let him in. But you know what? You can do Jesus the same way. Jesus knocks on that door. He knocks on your heart. And he'd say, I'd, I'd like to come in. And you'd say, Lord Jesus, I'd love to have you in my life right now. Come on in. But he'd sit out there and knock, and you'd say, not right now, Jesus. Not right now, Jesus. I've got something else i got to do. I've got bigger plans right now. I'll get to you later. You can let him in, or you can keep him out. Now, self-control, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's not called self-control. It's called temperance. But in Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's self-control right there. Against such there is no law. Temperance is, a, and I'll, I'll give you the, the definition of it, temperance is a matter of mastery, of authority, and of boundaries. So we need to live our last days with a spirit-filled life. And with a spirit-filled life, we'll be able to say no to the devil, yes to Jesus. Say no to the world and say yes to heaven. We can refuse the devil and accept Jesus. That's the, that's the life we need to be living here in these last days. Live a life with boundaries. Live it within God's word and God's will. That's the life we need to be living. Whatever the Bible tells us, however it instructs us, that is living inside the word and inside God's will. That's the life we need to be living in our end times, end days. Secondly, live loving. Live loving. And uh, y'all... I know I probably harp on this a little too much sometimes, but it's tough. This world we live in right now, it's hard to love one another. It's hard to love thy neighbor. It's hard to love your family sometimes. It's hard to love your friends sometimes. It's just hard to love. But verse 8 is telling us that we've got to love. It says, and above all things, have fervent charity, which is love, among yourselves. For charity, or love, shall cover the multitude of sins. Deep, deep, fervent love. That's what he's telling Not just love, but he's telling us a deep, fervent love that we are to be living. And the original, this is that Greek, so Keith was talking about Greek and Hebrew this morning. And to translate that deeply in, from Greek into what we have now means to reach out or to strain or exert an utmost amount of energy. That's what deeply means. So it's telling us to love to reach out or strain or exert an utmost amount of energy to love. I'll throw that in there. To love. Strain. As hard as you can, love one another. Strain 
to love one another. It carries a, the idea of, of a burning or boiling. That's another definition here. The idea of burning or boiling and being passionate about loving one another. Now notice that the verse says, above all things have fervent charity, fervent love. So before you do anything else in this life, before you do anything else this morning, before you do anything else, before you go to bed tonight, before you do anything else tomorrow, before you go to work, he's saying love. Just love. Before you serve, you love. Before you give, you love. Pretty cut and dry if you ask me. Before you do anything, love. How hard it is. And you think about my Jesus on the cross. You think about my Jesus as he went to that false trial, that fake trial. As he's being tortured, above all else, he loved. As he wept in the garden, he loved. As they drug him from the garden and they took him and they tied him and they beat him, he loved. When he was down in that prison, he loved. When they took him and strapped him to that cross and they nailed his hands and his feet, he still loved. And as he died, in his last words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He asked for forgiveness for them out of love. Before anything else, he loved. Before anything that we do, we love. That's tough, I know. But we got to do it if we're going to be Christ-like. It means that we're to love others even when they're unlovable. You ever met anybody unlovable? Some people are just teddy bears. You got people like Mike over here, just big old teddy bear. Just lovable. Look at him. But then there's others that are not so lovable. Some people are just hard to, to get to like. When they hurt you, love them. When they persecute you, love them. When they ridicule you like they did Jesus, you still love them. Abuse you, love them. Love them. Mock you, love them. Don't sound easy, does it? Do all these things to us. Are we to grin and bear it? Sometimes. But somehow we got to dig deep and we got to love them. So what does this mean? This for charity, love, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. When we love above all, we're not hating and reacting and sinning. When you love when you have love in your heart, when you have love in your life, you're not reacting with sinful life, with sinful answers, with hatred in your heart. Because you can't have love and hatred coming out. It's just like James tells us, a, 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 a fountain cannot put forth uh, bitter water and sweet water. And you, I take that different ways. I, I, I'll take that towards the mouth of the gutter and the mouth of grace too, but we can't have a fountain providing both bitter water and sweet water at the same time. You cannot be spurting out love and hatred at the same time. You just spurt out love. As a Christian, we are to love and have that kind of attitude everywhere we go. When we love above all, we're living with a, a forgiven spirit, a forgiven heart. And like I said, when Jesus was on the cross, he could have had bitterness. He could have had hatred towards everybody that was below him. All those people that were at the foot of the cross saying crucify him. 
All those people that spit on him and mocked him as he drugged that cross up the hill going to Calvary. He could have hated them. He could have had bitterness towards them. But again, on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. That's the kind of heart that we've got to have, a forgiving, loving heart. When we love above all, we are living a life of, of ministry that's going to reach out to those that, that are doing us wrong. And it's going to allow us to reach out to them with the gospel and the love of Jesus. When we do that above all else, above all, a loving, loving above all, we're showing Jesus. Because above all, he loved us just the way we are. Live loving. Number three, live doing good works. Verse 9 says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. You'd think if he knew a bunch of Baptists was going to read this, he'd leave that last part off. Use hospitality one to another, but then he says without grudging. But what do we do? We grudge. We, we grumble. We gripe a lot. Short and sweet. Do good. That's all this right here is saying. Just do good. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our lives can be characterized by the wrong things that we do. We can live good lives. 50, 60 years being a minister, and, and my, my pastor, I, he's, let's see, he's, this is his 50th anniversary in the ministry. I'm actually supposed to go in July sometime. We're having a big week-long revival service, but I'm supposed to preach down there at some point in July. Been in the ministry 50 years, but he could do one thing right now and mess the whole thing up. We're all in the same boat. We could be in the ministry. We could be a business owner. We can be a good person. Do great things in our community. Do th great things in our churches and with our families. And, and just go above and beyond what normal people would do. And just be a really good person. But you slip up one time and that ruins everything. Your testimony is shot. Our lives can be characterized by the wrong things that we do. Pastors, they're... they're they're not remembered by good sermons or, or great things that they were able to do inside the church where the Lord allowed them to be a vessel and to help grow the church and, and preach good sermons and, and do all these good things. What are preachers always remembered for? That one bad thing, that one bad sermon. That's why I'm, 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 I'm thankful that y'all don't have to vote on me once a year because <laughs> that would probably be the one bad, really bad, I mean, I have lots of bad ones, but that would be that one bad sermon that Sunday before, and y'all just remember that, and I'd, I'd be gone. But they're remembered by their mistakes. They are. Not, not by the good things, but by their mistakes. I told Abby yesterday, she rode around with me yesterday. That was a blessing. She's growing up on me, and she, she actually agreed to ride around with me. We followed 150-some motorcycles from Boone, and we went up the parkway, and we went all the way around and come up here to mccray meadows and parked for a little bit and then took off and went back to samaritan's purse it was a motorcycle rally to raise money for uh, operation hill our patriots and they called and asked me if i would if i would do the medical side of it so me and abby rode in the van and and we talked 
one of the things we talked about is, is her boyfriend's great-grandpa, Preacher Carl Wilson. Great man of God, I miss that man something fierce. Love that man. Last time I ever heard him preach was at Vanderpool Baptist Church, and I wrote a note in my book, and it was in First Peter. And the title of his sermon is, Let Me Tell You One More Time. Let me tell you one more time. And he died several years ago. And I told Abby yesterday, I said, I'd love to have some Preacher Carl's notes to read over sometime. Love to have those notes. When he died, he was remembered as a great man. Nobody brought up a bad sermon. Nobody brought up when he stepped on somebody else's toes. Nobody brought that up when he passed away. They remembered him, and we remember him as a great man of God. That's the way I want to go out. That's the way I think we all want to go out. It's being remembered as a great, godly person. Someone that cared about the church. They cared about people's salvation. They loved one another. That's the way I want to go. Peter's teaching us to, to let our life be characterized by doing good and for Pete's sake, and I mean that, do it without grumbling. Don't grumble about it. Don't complain about it. Do good, but when you do it, do it with a cheerful heart. Be happy when you do it. Number four, last one. I'll be quiet. Verse 10 and 11, we are to live serving. Verse 10 says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a little word up there that we, we read in verse 11. I think it throws a lot of people off. But it says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Those oracles, that's the word of God. That's what that's saying. That is, that's another Greek translation right there, oracles. That is saying, if any man speak, let him speak as the word of God. Translate that for you a little bit. Our lives in these last days should be characterized by our service in the church as well as to others. Our service to God, our service to the church, our service to others. We need to be remembered by what we've done to glorify God through our works after salvation. I always throw that in there. I feel like if I don't throw that in there, some random person will listen to the sermon later on and, and think that you've got to do good works to get to heaven. I just want to clarify that. We as believers receive spiritual gifts once we receive the Holy Spirit. The moment of salvation, we receive something. I still ain't figured out what mine was because it definitely wasn't good looks and it wasn't a singing ability and I can't play an instrument. I'm working on something. I don't know what he's got, but we all receive a gift. We have some spiritual something that we can do. It may not be something that can be seen. You might be good at numbers. You might be able to, to crunch numbers for the church. You might, I don't know what it could be. But we all receive something that we, in return, are to use to glorify God, to build up the church, to be an encouragement. Whatever it is, we got something, and we're to use those gifts to build up believers and to build up the church and to be a witness and to minister to one another. 
to minister to those that are lost, to minister to the ones inside the church, but to minister to them, to the whole world. Romans 12, 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on ex- exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Maybe y'all have got some of that. Maybe when y'all were saved, y'all received some of those gifts. I don't know. But I know one of the, great, the, the greatest gifts that we all received in salvation was the gift of love. We got that love. When, when, when we asked Jesus into our hearts, we got love. We were showed a type of love that we've never experienced before. I've never, I've never asked Paisley this, and I'll talk to her later about it, but I, I talk about this with a lot of different people. When you were saved, what did it feel like? What did you experience? Nine times out of ten, they will say, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. You talk to a preacher. How can you explain your call to preach? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, not what you think. They're going to say, I thought I was having a seizure. <laughs> and I thought it was funny at first, but you know, honestly, that's how I felt. I was shaking all over. Like, I knew it was, it was just time. It was time to do something. God was going to use me. I couldn't stop shaking. I, hurt, I actually I physically hurt after that. My, my muscles were so tight and tense from shaking. But we received something. We received a gift. We received love. We received free pardon of sin. We received a relationship. When we were saved, when Jesus saved us, we received a lot of great things. But we also received a gift that we need to be using to minister to this lost world. We are to live serving in these last days, as, as Scripture says, God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, every service that we provide for someone, for the church, for individuals, whatever it is, every service we provide we are to do it, and it says, God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You don't do it through yourself. You don't do it through the church. You do it through Jesus. Everything you do, you do it for him, to glorify him. Whatever you do or give, we should do it in a way that God gets the glory. I never want the glory out of nothing, period, ever. Don't give me none of that. It is for him. I don't stand up here in front of y'all on Sunday mornings or over here on Wednesday nights or wherever I'm at in the rest of the week for y'all just to see me, for y'all to praise me, for y'all to honor me. It's not, I'm not here for that. Absolutely not. God didn't call me to be recognized like that. He called me to preach. For y'all to hear it, I'm just a vessel. He gets the glory. That's all there is to it. He gets the glory. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. We talked about that this morning in in our Sunday school lesson. They don't know. Nobody knows when he's coming back. But here's the thing. And I'm going to close on this. We're one day closer than we was yesterday. We're one day closer than we was yesterday. Jerry, I never met your daddy. 
But I've heard some good stories come out of you about him. And that sounds like something he might want to say <laughs> when he's preaching. We was one day closer than we was yesterday to the, set, to the return of Jesus. One day closer. One day closer to eternity. One day closer to our mansion. One day closer to getting to walk on streets of gold. One day closer to getting to meet the loved ones that have gone on before us. We are one day closer. That would put a smile on your face. We're one day closer to seeing Jesus. Just one day closer. If we do these things we talked about this morning, Peter's telling us to do, then we'll be doing exactly what would be pleasing to God. That's all that matters. Do what is pleasing to God. And that way, whenever He does return for us, we'll not be ashamed of the life that we lived. I don't want to be ashamed of what I've done. Everything I've done, I, I want to do it to glorify Him. And that's it. It's not about me, it's all about Him. Stand with me, we're going to close out. Ethan's getting a head start on everybody. He's going to tackle me after this. I've, I've enjoyed this. I don't know how much longer we'll be going through Peter, but I, I've enjoyed this. If nobody else has, I've enjoyed this myself, personally, going through the book of Peter, First Peter. Got a lot out of this myself. It's helped me tremendously. We'll keep going as long as we can until we run out of Scripture. I did learn something this week that there probably ought to be a, a third Peter. That First Peter was supposed to be two books. I ain't going to get into that. It's nerdy stuff. It's funny. I won't get into that, but it's, it's been a good study, really good study. But we'll, uh, we'll be back here Wednesday night. We're going to finish up. I think we're going to be able to finish up the Samaritan woman Wednesday night. I think we're going to be able to finish it as long as the teacher can speed things up. But it's a, it's a good study. If you can be here, be here. We've got books if you need a book. But that's a, it's, been a, it's been a great study. Let's close out. Father God, we just want to come to you one more time today and just thank you for your loving kindness, Lord, for your long-suffering, for the mercy and the grace that you bestow upon us. Lord, we thank you for this morning, God, for allowing us just to roll out of bed. God, to take a deep breath. Lord, be able to walk in the kitchen and, and make our coffee, for us to sit down on the couch and talk to our family, or for just giving us opportunity today to come in here and to fellowship, to worship. Lord, today I pray that we learned a little bit more about love what love is, what love does, what love feels like, what love looked like hanging on the cross. And I pray, God, today that we take that love with us as we leave this place and we go about our business this week. I pray that the love of Jesus would just be shown upon each and every one of us. Those that are around us would feel it. They'd see it. They know it's real. They know that it's true. And they know that they can receive that love as well. God, as we go about our business this week, Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to be a witness to those. Give us the time to give our testimony. Lord, to pray with somebody that might be lost, somebody that might be, that maybe they're not lost, maybe they're just suffering today. Lord, I pray that we would be a comfort to them. And Lord, I pray that you give us the words that need to be spoken to them to show them that comfort, show them that love. And God, as we leave this place today, I pray, God, that we'd hear of salvations coming from these churches around us. 
God, I pray that we see and we hear of those lost souls coming to know and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, as we preached and as we talked this morning, we're getting closer to the end. And I pray we'd live our days, these last days here on earth, as if you're coming tomorrow. We'd love one another. We'd live for you. And we give you all the glory for whatever takes place. Again, we thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Lord God, I pray that you would just keep this church safe. Those that make it up, keep us safe. Bring us back here at the next appointed time. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.